Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. This week we discuss the Asian giant hornet, the aggressive six centimeter long hornet that is common to Japan and regularly terrorizes the country's residents during the summer months here. Over in the US, however, the hornet is a new phenomenon and has made its way into the headlines after it was recorded as an invasive species in the Pacific Northwest region. Just this month, the New York Times dubbed them murder, murder hornets. Murder hornets. Murder hornets. Yeah, basically just the biggest hornet you've ever seen. Joining me today is Matt Alt, a Tokyo-based writer, translator, and presenter for NHK, and author of the soon-to-be-published book, Pure Invention, How Japan's Pop Culture Conquered the World. Matt recently wrote an article for The New Yorker about the hornet and how a simple translation error might have given it its new macabre nickname. Matt. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. And how are you doing? Uh, are you still confined to the house? Well, stuck inside, you know, we don't have to worry about murder hornets or anything. So that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about those. Living in Japan, I've heard of and seen the Asian giant hornet, but it's never been really talked about as anything more than a nuisance during the summer months. But suddenly it appears to be very high up in the US news cycle. So for the benefit of those who haven't had the distinct pleasure of encountering one of these hornets before. What is the Asian giant hornet? Yeah, I, I have to say I never imagined this, of all things, becoming a trend uh, abroad, but such are the strange times that we find ourselves living in. The Asian giant hornet, which is known in Japan as the Bachi, is a, a sort of feared presence, so to speak, in the Japanese summer months. And uh, virtually anyone who's spent uh, any amount of time in Japan here during those warmer months outdoors certainly has encountered them. They're large hornets. They're almost uh, two inches in length. Mm. They emit a quite formidable sounding buzz when they're incoming. And it does feel like incoming fighter planes or something when they're nearby. Yeah, it's kind of like a series of drones flying past or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I mean they're they're out there. I was I just dodged one on a on a jog uh, just the other day, so they're definitely out there. I've actually got a picture of one of them up in my notes in front of me, and they're they're huge. They're yellow and black, highly armored with giant mandibles at the front, and yes. yeah, half a centimeter long stinger, which they become famous for. Yes, like all hornets, the Asian giant hornet stinger is smooth instead of barbed like a honeybee's is. So they can just keep stinging over and over and over again, which is part of the terror. <laughs> yeah, before this conversation, I went down quite an extensive rabbit hole <laughs> on YouTube looking at them flying around and stinging and attacking all oh, sorts yeah. of things. I'm Coyote Peterson, and I'm about to enter the sting zone with the Japanese giant hornet. One, two, here we go, three. But just how prevalent are they in Japan during the summer months here? Well, you know, I should preface this by saying I'm not an entomologist. I haven't conducted any surveys of this. But just speaking personally, I'd say they're very common during the summer months, uh, especially in kind of wooded areas, uh, areas where nature uh, can still be found. You won't run into them, say, in Shibuya or, you know, Tokyo Station, although you can. I mean, they're found everywhere. But uh, once you get out a little bit into the suburbs, yeah, I mean, it's very possible that you'll see a giant uh, Asian hornet coming your way without uh, any provocation. <laughs> 
I, I didn't realise this before coming into Japan, but Japan does have its kind of nice collection of giant insects and the giant hornet fits very nicely into them. I've had quite a lot of personal experience with uh, the giant centipedes known as Mikade. Um, oh, had yes. a couple of nice bites, but yeah. Oh, wow. You were actually bitten by the centipede? I, I had an experience where I was doing a cycle trip through Kyushu one time and uh, I hung out my cycling shorts outside to dry overnight i'd wash them in a nearby stream and i put them on in the morning and uh and about five minutes into cycling i felt something wriggling in my shorts and i thought oh no oh it's probably just an ant or something like that and oh my god down on my leg and uh (laughs) oh god (laughs) that's when i got bitten and uh yeah you know whipped off the cycling shorts and saw this 10 centimeter long centipede in the kind of crotch area of my shorts talk about getting you where the sun don't shine absolutely You know, I I grew up on the East Coast of the United States of America. And, you know, of course, we had our share of insects out there. But comparatively speaking, it's always seemed to me that Japanese bugs are physically larger than the ones I encountered as a Mm. kid. Uh, Whether you're talking about extremely common ones like the, the, the big flying cockroaches that you can see during the summer or the centipedes that you discussed, which aren't insects, but I guess we can call them creepy crawlies. Uh, all the way up to more sort of beloved insects like the uh, giant rhinoceros beetle and the stag mm. beetles that children have traditionally collected as playthings in the summer months. Yeah, and even the cicadas that you hear kind of going through the summer. They yes. haven't quite started yes. yet in full in full uh, full chorus, I guess. But you know they will do soon. Yes. And they're they're huge when you see them dropping from the trees. They're they're massive. Yeah, definitely, definitely big katydids, all sorts of uh, large insects, and you know I don't know if the high humidity is a factor, but it certainly seems to me that it doesn't hurt insects <laughs> to have a highly humid environment. And as you well know, in Japan, Japan is a monsoon climate. And so from about July on, you know, it just starts raining and raining. And then it seems like it's a steam bath yes. from about, uh, you know, mid-July through the end of August. Invasive species that has scientists on high alert. The so-called murder hornets arriving in the United States. What's called murder hornets reported in the U.S. for the first time. From Japan that are now in Canada and the U.S. Scientists have dubbed them murder hornets. Why are these hornets now in the news? Because obviously they're prevalent here. They're, you know, they're, they're a common part of life here during the summer months. But they've suddenly grabbed international attention, particularly in the U.S., So the reason that Asian giant hornets have shown up in Western media is because an entomologist reported finding uh, several Asian giant hornets in America's Pacific Northwest. And to date, only two have been discovered, but there is circumstantial evidence pointing to a larger population being out there. And that circumstantial evidence is that uh, giant hornets prey on honeybees, Mm. uh, and particularly honeybee hives. And so uh, there were some beekeepers reporting that their several hives had been decimated. Uh, The the bees, they they showed up and their honeybees were all decapitated because this ferocious hornet had come in and they have no defense against it because it's a uh, invasive species. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's an interesting story uh, in and of itself. But, you know, normally uh, a sort of 
biological story like that wouldn't make headlines like this one did. And the reason that this particular case blew up like it did in the mass media is because in that first article by the New York Times, the reporter quoted a Japanese entomologist who seems to have translated the phrase satsujin bachi or satsujin suzume bachi, which means killer hornet, uh, into murder hornet. Mm -hmm. And he conveyed that to the reporter, and the reporter used that in the title for the piece. And it's a very um, evocative name, I think you can agree. And I think, you know, part of this is about that evocative name. And another big part is just a sort of desperation for any news that isn't specifically COVID-19 related right now. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, speaking personally, I know I'm craving to read and hear any kind of different news, even though I'm sure having a new invasive species in your back garden, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, is actually not really a welcome addition right now. Before we go too far into your thoughts about how it became known as the murder hornet over in the States, uh, let's just pause on just how dangerous a species they can be. Because I saw a stat, I think it was in that New York Times article that said that a single hornet could kill up to 40 bees a minute, uh, decapitating them with those giant mandibles that we mentioned earlier. And because of that, they can quickly decimate those honeybee hives. And as we know, honeybees are, aren't just important for the honey they produce, but also because of their role as pollinators of all sorts of plants. So this is potentially a huge problem uh, for the states if there's a new invasive species, this Asian giant hornet wiping out the native bee populations there, which have no defense. Absolutely. And, you know, you might ask yourself, well, why isn't this more of a problem in Japan? And the answer is because uh, being a part of the natural environment here, the local honeybees have evolved a strategy uh, to defend themselves against uh, giant hornets. And that is the honeybees swarm the hornet when it comes into the hive, many of them just piling on like almost like a rugby scrum. And by beating their wings overheat it mm. and cook it to death uh, because honeybees can survive a higher temperature than hornets can. So uh, even though honey, even though hornets, giant hornets do prey on honeybees successfully here in Japan, there's a sort of balance. Uh, whereas when you have an invasive species uh, abroad, there is not. That balance does not exist because the local honeybee population uh, naturally did not evolve with this predator in its environment. Yes, and I was looking at, I think it was a National Geographic video of that defence strategy earlier. It's absolutely fascinating because the way the hornets work is that they will send out a scout hornet to locate hives. Um, and the real danger for the bees is when that scout hornet returns to its own nest and then brings all the other hornets back to the bees' nest, at which point the bees get completely overwhelmed. So what the bees actually do is to target those scout hornets directly by letting them into their hives. And once the hornet's inside the bees' nest, the Japanese bees will trap them there and kill them before the hornet can return to its nest. So it's absolutely fascinating how these two species have, have co-evolved and adapted to one another. It is. And interestingly, humans uh, in Japan have learned how to use those scout hornets themselves. In uh, Nagano Prefecture in particular and other mountainous regions, Hornets are a delicacy. Uh, they are eaten as a, a traditional source of protein. And the way that you uh, catch them is that you, a, a very skilled person, obviously, because this is very dangerous if you're not, you capture a scout hornet and you actually tie a ribbon around it and follow it back to the hive. 
and then you use smoke to smoke it. Like bees, bees are uh, very weak around smoke as well. Mm. You can kind of stun the hornets uh, with smoke, and then you can get them out and collect the larvae, which are traditionally stir fried with a, a sweet sauce and eaten. And I've actually done that. Uh, You've been part of a hornet chase. Part of- Yes. Uh, with NHK, uh, I was uh, a co-host of a show called uh, Japanology Plus for many years. And one of the episodes, they sent me to Nagano and I hooked up with a, I embedded, I guess you could say in the journalistic uh, term with a hornet hunter. And that was very interesting to see. How do they lure in the, the hornets to tie the ribbon around them? Well, the, you need uh, a lure, which tends to be a fragrant piece of meat. And in my particular case, the gentleman used surume ika, dried squid, which if you've ever opened a package of it in Japan, you know how fragrant it is. It's very strong smelling. (laughs) So he would hang strips of this on branches and uh, wait for a hornet to come in and then kind of expertly uh, either hook a a string around it or get it to to actually pick up a piece of meat that that string had been tied around and then we would follow it. And it was really, it's almost like a sport, you know, like hunting. You're running through the woods after this, (laughs) after your quarry. And uh, the problem is at the end of the line, there's a giant hornet nest. (laughs) It doesn't really feel like much of a victory. Yes. But... Yeah, and you, you want to make sure you're not going too fast so as not to run straight into that nest. Exactly. <laughs> it's harder than it looks because, you know, forests aren't flat areas generally and they're full of obstacles. And, you know, you're keeping your eyes on this little string uh, flying through the forest and trying dodging trees and trying not to trip over rocks. And, you know, I understand the thrill. Um, uh, I'm not sure the payoff is worth it, but, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a Nagano mountain native. <laughs> so. <laughs> and did you try a hornet larvae after, after oh, that? Oh, we did. I did, actually. I did. I, I'm actually a pretty adventurous eater. Uh, I, I don't have a lot. I'm not very picky when it comes to food. I mean, I like, I like good food, obviously. I don't seek out insects. But, you know, if it's a traditional dish, I'm always willing to try it. And so not only did I eat it cooked, I actually ate several of the larvae raw at the uh, suggestion of the hunter. And it was an interesting (laughs) experience. They they don't taste, they don't have a strong taste. It's, it's mainly the aversion to sticking something that looks like a maggot, which Mm. it basically is in your mouth. Uh, but once they're cooked up, uh, you know, it's, it's stir fried in a sweet sauce and served traditionally on top of rice. And it's very much, uh, in, in the vein of a lot of those kind of small dish otsumami type uh, dishes that are served up at izakaya and things like that. Uh, I'm not sure that you'd really notice if you didn't look closely that you were eating bugs. Yes, I. one of the podcast episodes we made actually quite a long time ago was uh, with a chef named Thomas Frabel, and he runs a restaurant here called Inua, uh, which I hope is doing well uh, with the lockdown. Yes, it's a tough time. Yeah, but one of, the, um, one of the dishes they used to serve at the end of their meals was kind of a rice nabe with bee larvae, not hornet, but bee ah, larvae in it. Yes. And they, they'd been yes. cu- cooked and they had such a kind of honeyed, silky, sweet taste to them. Again, I think they were from Nagano. So maybe Nagano is the place to go to get get your hands yes. on. Yes, Nagano is the place if you if for, for insect cuisine. <laughs> but moving away from their culinary applications for a moment, how dangerous are these hornets to humans? Were you wearing any protective gear when you went out to catch them? 
Well, the, the danger is not that a single hornet will incapacitate you, although uh, a single hornet can certainly ruin your day. Um, I've been stung by smaller versions of the Asian hornet, and you know they leave a. It, it, it feels like like ignited lighter fluid being injected into your into your body. It's it's a, not a <laughs> pleasant experience, um, and that welt takes a serious long time to go away, but. The, the 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 real danger comes when you accidentally stumble across, for instance, a hive, and you stir up many of them. Mm. Uh, and if you are attacked by a swarm of them, even if you are not somebody who is allergic to uh, the the venom, you know, if you get stung enough, it's very very dangerous. And every year, um, a dozen or so people in Japan uh, lose their lives in situations like that where they've accidentally literally stirred up a hornet's nest. So let's talk about this new name that the Asian giant hornet has been given in the US. They were called murder hornets in the New York Times in an article on May 2nd. And I think the name kind of spread from there. So what did you think when you first saw the Asian giant hornet being called the murder hornet? So the the phrase murder hornet immediately jumped out at me, uh, first because it's a very shocking sort of name, uh, and then second because in the article it was stated that experts in Japan call them this. And when I read that immediately, uh, my ears, you know, my radar started beeping and I was thinking to myself, I have never heard anyone in English or Japanese, refer to these insects in that way. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was almost certainly a mistranslation, uh, deliberate or otherwise, of the Japanese phrase satsujin bachi, which means killer bee, or satsujin suzume bachi, which means killer hornet. And that phrasing is commonly heard on Japanese mass media and in Japanese reporting on the insects, especially when uh, injuries are involved. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that is a more neutral sort of descriptor, I think, used for a creature that can cause death. Murder, on the other hand, is a word that implies some sort of either premeditation or a desire of some sort to kill which I don't think you can really apply to an insect which is attacking, you know, even if you are, even if you are not a fan of giant hornets and I don't blame you, <laughs> I don't think anybody believes that they are waking up in the morning and, and kind of rubbing their mandibles together in anticipation of killing somebody or even killing another insect. Uh, you know, they're, they're operating on, on instinct. So that immediately sort of made me start scratching my head and I started digging a little bit deeper into it. And what's your theory here? The word satsujin is written with the kanji for kill and person in Japanese. Uh, and it is used much more broadly than the word murder is in English. Um, It's used in situations where a person is killed by any, Mm -hmm. in any sort of situation, Uh, whether it is deliberate, whether it's a human doing it, whether it's a car doing it, whether it's a, you know, an accident. Um, And the way that Japanese differentiate is by adding uh, other words to it, such as the phrase satsujin jiken, which means a murder case. 
because case has been added to it. But if you say Satujin Bachi, that's not a murder hornet. That is a killer hornet. Japanese is a very contextual language. And so you really need to kind of read the situation before you can decide on what word specifically to use. I suspect what happened is that when the entomologist said the phrase Satsujin Bachi, he offered up a translation of it based on what was in an English-Japanese English dictionary. And in an English-Japanese dictionary, if you look up the word Satsujin, you'll be presented with options that include killing, murdering, manslaughter, uh, that all are context-dependent. And in this particular case... Uh, one side or the other, I don't know who, uh, but picked murder over killer and triggered this massive meme uh, of murder hornets uh, uh, invading the United States. I, You know, I think it's a testament to what strange times we live in that people all over the world turn to the concept of murder hornets for relief from their actual everyday situations. Yes, perhaps because the Asian giant hornets that turned up in the US were at least visible, whereas coronavirus is a much more invisible killer and much harder to act against and I think makes people feel quite powerless. Yes, definitely. No, I mean, it's the enemy that you can see is always uh, less frightening than the one you can't. That's why ninjas are so scary. <laughs> so apart from being quite sensationalist sounding, do you think there's actually anything problematic about these hornets being referred to as murder hornets rather than, say, killer hornets. One of the issues that critics were raising is that particularly when it's combined with uh, the word Asian, such as Asian murder hornet, it starts to tread on dangerous territory uh, where you are ascribing uh, negative characteristics to an entire group of people. And in the 1970s, there was a problem with a similar invasive species of bees, killer bees. And they were the result of crossbreeding with imported African honeybees. And so the phrase Africanized killer bee uh, became a sort of headline and a meme in late 70s and early 80s America. And the as you as you might imagine with a phrase like that, there's certainly racial overtones to it. And uh, there was a lot of criticism of, of that style of describing an insect. And I think when you say Asian murder hornet, you're treading very close to that sort of territory. And on a much more uh, up to the moment sort of note, it's the same sort of thinking that you see when world leaders attempt to uh, rename COVID-19 the Chinese flu or the Wuhan flu. Um, and while there's no doubt that it seems to have emerged from that area, I think actually going out of your way to name it as such invites uh, backlash toward the people from that area, even if they had nothing to do with the spread of hornets or flu or whatever the latest uh, fear gripping humanity is. You know, I think one of the reasons that murder hornet took off as a phrase is because uh, Westerners are so used to seeing monsters come out of Japan. Uh, you know, in the 1950s, we had the boom for Godzilla movies and 
in the 1990s and 2000s, a boom for pocket monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, Japanese folklore monsters, uh, yokai, uh, creatures from Japanese fairy tales, have started to get a lot of attention abroad. So I think when you speak of a, a dangerous sounding creature like murder hornet, the fact that it came from Japan and not some other country is also key to why it was boosted and amplified so much online. Because I think most people see Japan as a sort of fantasy land to begin with. Elaborate on that point. So, so the the other monster that was that kind of came out of Japan recently during this coronavirus period and into the headlines of papers not only here but also in other parts of the world. And you wrote about it for the New Yorker as, as well. Is uh, Amabie? So, yes. so maybe you could introduce that creature before we sign off here. Well, Amabie is a yokai, a creature from folklore that was sighted in the mid nineteenth century. Uh, emerging out of the waters off of Kyushu. And uh, a a lawman reported seeing it. And it said, if a plague should come, share my image. And then it disappeared. And this appeared as a little newspaper article in a a Japanese kawaraban, which was the name for a a Japanese bulletin or gazette or newspaper of the day. And, uh, you know, it was a story and it was forgotten. And then suddenly... Uh, in March, when COVID-19 was really heating up, uh, a artist on Twitter sort of resurrected Amabie. He, he published a scan of the original newspaper article and said, hey, plague is back. I think we should start sharing Amabie again. And that turned into this whole meme. <laughs> and what is Amabie supposed to look like? Amabie is a very strange looking creature with the head of a bird and a sort of mermaid-like body with three tails and uh, long flowing hair. And actually, she bears a striking resemblance to the Starbucks logo, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but, uh, Do you think you know, that's with intentional the, with the, uh, a bit of niche research by uh, Starbucks Well, intentional. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to ask the Starbucks people. They came along a century or more after she did. She's from the, you know, the 1840s is when uh, Amabie first appeared. And I'm saying she. I, we don't know if Amabie is male or female or what. Uh, Amabie is a yokai and they, they are – you know, they sort of resist easy analysis. But Amabie appeared in the uh, 19th century saying to share its visage, share its image if a plague should come. And little did Amabie know how prescient and appropriate this prophecy would be for the era of social media to come 150 <laughs> years later. So Japan maintaining its reputation for producing uh, both scary creatures and uh, the occasional giant hornet um thank you so much for talking to me today matt well anytime you have a monster problem you know who to call <laughs> we'll play out with the ghostbusters uh, theme tune <laughs> exactly <laughs> seriously thanks for having me on i really appreciate it that was matt alt and you can see more from him and get the details about his upcoming book pure invention at mattalt.com Unfortunately, we couldn't play out with the Ghostbusters theme tune because it was beyond even the budget of this fine show. Today, we're celebrating our 50th episode. So I want to say a big thank you to all of those who've joined us throughout, whether you're just listening to Deep Dive for the first time or whether you've listened to it from the very, very beginning. 
If you want to help support the show, then please do rate it, review it and subscribe it on whichever podcasting platform you're listening on. It helps others find the show. Or better yet, consider getting a digital subscription to the Japan Times and help support all the fantastic journalism it does. We've made all of our reporting on coronavirus in Japan free to all readers throughout the coronavirus crisis. But news still costs money to make and subscribing to us is the best way to make sure that we can keep producing the news that you want, deserve and need. If you ever want to get in contact with us, reach out to us at deepdive at japantimes.co.jp or get in touch with us on Twitter by following the account at japandeepdive. Until next time, thank you as always for listening and potsukare-sama. <laughs>